So, a few weeks back, I did a Q&A episode where I tried to answer a bunch of questions that I'd gotten from listeners, and it was a lot of fun because I was able to cover a bunch of different topics that wouldn't have necessarily filled an entire episode on their own. But it also gave me the opportunity to clarify some of the points that I've made in the past and uh, help some of you who have reached out for guidance. I hoped it would be helpful, and I'm guessing by the response that it was... I've gotten more emails over the past two weeks than I have in the past year. Ideas, requests, and of course, more questions. So I'm going to do another quick Q&A this week uh, where I cover a bunch of different areas. And some are building on the questions that I tackled last time. Uh, Others cover brand new ground. But I think all of it will be helpful as you start looking at the next year of growing your business. Stick around. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. Each week we discuss the tools, tactics, and strategies that will establish you as a leader in your market. I want to help you do more covers and drive more revenue. Now, each week we choose a topic, we pick that topic apart, we come up with some key insights, and then we always finish up with an assignment. I always leave you with a short actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing some of the ideas we talk about here on the show, because as I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, two things to mention right here at the top of the show. First, I am easy to reach and I answer each and every email I receive. I talk a lot about community on this show because I truly believe that is what we're building. Uh, I try hard to help all of you, and time and time again, I am discovering ways that you help me. So listeners poke at my ideas and ask deeper questions, uh, which forces me to better articulate the ideas uh, that I present here on the show. My interactions with you guys give me the chance to hear your story, uh, which gets me thinking in all kinds of new directions, which then leads to uh, new episodes and things like that. Community doesn't just happen. It gets built and it gets cultivated. So please reach out. Let me know how I can help. Chip at ChipClose.com. That's C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. The second thing today I want to remind you is to log a review on Apple Podcasts. It's one of those things that really does help expand our reach, um, help me grow this community. In fact, I did this before and I'll do it again. If you go and log a five-star rating and a review, take a screenshot and email that to me, I will give you a free 30-minute consultation call. We'll, We'll set up a time that works for both of us. We'll identify the area that you want to discuss before we even get on the call, and then I will assist you in whatever way I can, totally free, just by logging a five-star rating and a review. Again, Apple Podcasts, then take a screenshot, email me, and we will set up a call, I promise. Now, on to today's episode, which is another round of questions and answers. Six questions that, interestingly enough, all kind of blend one into the other in a in a strange sort of way. This episode actually does kind of have its own its own arc, as you'll see. 
So question number one, I got a, I, I got an email from somebody who says, what exactly is a ghost kitchen? You, you've talked about ghost kitchens uh, on the show. Uh, I've heard that before, but, but how would I set one up? So let's start with the beginning. What is a ghost kitchen? So a company would operate five or six different concepts out of a single kitchen, each with different logos and different menus for each of those five or six concepts, right? So think of it this way. People scroll through Seamless or Grubhub or DoorDash or whatever the delivery site is, right? Looking for, for what they want and they see a Greek place and a sushi place and a Chinese place and a, and a Mexican restaurant and a pizza joint, not realizing that all of the food from each of those concepts actually comes from the same place. Now, this is what a true ghost kitchen does. It, it's a way of, of utilizing the system, of bending the system to your advantage. So again, somebody would open a ghost kitchen and the beauty of it is, is that it's not customer facing. So you don't have to pay for, uh, for frontage space. You don't have to, to, uh, to get street level space. You could get second floor, third floor, 10th floor. You could be in an industrial space, a, a pretty ugly space, a commercial kitchen. You could simply just rent space out of a commercial kitchen and you could run all of those concepts out of that one location. Think of it this way. It's a bit like Amazon, right? Amazon doesn't care what you buy when you shop on Amazon because they're gonna make money on every single thing that you buy. So it doesn't matter to them who you buy from, what products you buy or whatever, as long as you buy from Amazon, they're cool, they still make money. The same thing with ghost kitchens. They don't care what type of food you're in the mood for because they're gonna make money no matter what. Now. That's what a ghost kitchen is. What are the benefits, right? The biggest benefit is that it gives you flexibility and a really great way to maximize limited real estate. Now, how can we set one up? How could we make this work for us, right? So on a smaller scale, think of it as a separate restaurant that operates out the back door of your restaurant, right? now. It might have nothing to do at all with your concept, right? So I think of uh, Bob and Kate Carpenter. Uh, they've got Sunnyside Kitchen out in uh, California, out in Escondido, and they are a breakfast and lunch place. And this past summer, uh, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, they rolled out something they called 760 Burgers, right? So it was a burger restaurant uh, that operated. It was a ghost kitchen. You couldn't come into the restaurant and get it. It was only available for takeout through uh, the delivery sites like Grubhub, like Seamless, like DoorDash, uh, and it operated at night. They ran it on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights as a way of making a little extra revenue, uh, as a way of uh, boosting uh, some of their downtime business, right? So that's one way of doing it. You, it has nothing to do with your concept. Since it's a ghost kitchen, nobody knows where it comes from. Uh, you're kind of free to do whatever you want. Then on the other side, it could be closely tied. Uh, there was a restaurant in uh, in Hell's Kitchen, New York, so it's right in Midtown in the theater district, uh, and I forget the name of the restaurant, but it was this beautiful like corner bistro, and they had this little window um, on the side, right? So on the on the street side, not the avenue side, uh, where they ran like a little um, like a little like a little counter, like a little pickup window, uh, and they sold, like it was like a like a chicken restaurant, but they sold like wings and, and sides to go out the side. Um, so it was related to the brand, it was just like a, a substandard level, it was a lower uh, entry point. Uh, instead of going to kind of this like high-end corner cafe, you kind of got, you know, food for a buck 
you know, out the side of this restaurant. And again, they eventually put themselves onto Seamless and Grubhub uh, so that they could maximize uh, their footprint, maximize their real estate. All that matters is that it has to be something you can easily execute. Remember, you're trying to be efficient with your resources. Um, that means your kitchen space, uh, your cooks, right? All your, you know, your human resources and your ordering, right? All your food ordering. So keep it all aligned there so that it works for you. Now, the thing with the ghost kitchens is that this would work exclusively with third-party delivery services like Grubhub, DoorDash, etc. So you're still losing a lot of money to those hefty commissions that they take right off the top, but if you can successfully operate all of these different concepts or or one concept uh, juxtaposed next to your main concept, um, it actually could be quite profitable in spite of all of the fees. So that's what a ghost kitchen is. That's an easy way to think about it, how you might be able to uh, to get one started and to maybe grow it into something bigger. Now, that leads us to question number two. But wait, you said you didn't like all of those third-party delivery services, right? On the last episode, the last uh, Q&A says first party was the way to go. You said bring your delivery in-house. Now, this was a question that came from a listener who felt I was giving contradictory advice, so I'll take this opportunity to set the record straight. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to running a restaurant. The thing that works for your competitor may not work for you. What works in one market may not work in another. So it's important to look at all of your options, right? So running a ghost kitchen all on its own or even running it out your back door may be a great way to drive additional revenue, right? Your resources might be stretched in the restaurant. uh, So then doing uh, first person, right? Doing in-house delivery might not make sense. Third-party delivery sites might make the most sense for you, but you're right. For my money and for yours, I think third-party delivery sites pose a problem. They often take 20 to 30% commission right off the top. They basically are stealing all of our profits. Yes, the better way to do it is to integrate in-house delivery. If you're going to put together a delivery program, either to-go food or at-home meal kits or whatever, yes, I would bring your delivery in-house and organize it in a way that's manageable. Now, maybe that means you don't do takeout and delivery in the traditional sense, but maybe you prepare food that can be heated up at home. So here in New York City, there's a restaurant called The Smith, and there's a bunch of different locations. Uh, And over the course of the pandemic, they launched a program they call Heat and Eat, where they prepare food that's that's either uncooked or half-cooked, like a lasagna, right? All prepped, and it comes, you know, in the tray with cooking instructions or, or a whole chicken that's already brined and stuffed and just ready for the oven. So they take orders all day, and then the deliveries go out the door at 5 p.m. And depending on how many deliveries, they schedule that many people. All deliveries are guaranteed by a certain time, let's say 6.30, and it's worked very, very well for them. So maybe they didn't have the resources to do delivery all night long, especially as they get busy at 7, 8 o'clock. So they figured out a way to make it work from them. Now, the best part about bringing your delivery in-house is that those delivery people may end up being prep cooks or porters or or, or whatever, so you may even be able to utilize your existing staff, which can help fill out their daily schedule. You're giving uh, more hours to the people that have been really loyal to you. That's, That's a good thing. I can't tell you which is the right way to go. I can just give you the facts and some of the insights that I've gleaned along the way, right? So, fact. 
third-party delivery services take a big bite out of profits. Because of that, yes, I would do everything I could to bring my delivery in-house. Fact, hiring, training, and managing a team of delivery people will take work, and you may not have the time or resources to do that. But I will tell you, it is worth the effort. Now, what about resources to help you with this, right? There are services out there. One that I love is called Craver. They build you a branded app where customers can place orders uh, either for pickup or delivery right there in your very own branded app. The company charges a flat monthly fee and it's very reasonable. There's often a way to integrate the services directly with your website as well so people can place orders on your site. Again, uh, you wanna make it easy for people to order from you, right? So I am slowly pulling all of my clients off of those third-party delivery sites like Grubhub and DoorDash and Caviar, and I'm urging all of them to start keeping things in-house. So I've worked with Craver. I've also worked with another company called Chow Now, and I can vouch for both of them, right? The links, uh, I'm gonna include the links in the show notes, uh, but it's a great way to start bringing your stuff in-house. There's also a company called Bento Box, and they specifically build websites for restaurants. I know I've talked about them before on previous episodes, uh, but they have an integration with Square that uh, that allows for ordering uh, also to directly happen on your website. It's a pretty sophisticated tool. Again, I'll link to uh, their website in the show notes as well if you just want to explore some of your options. The first thing you need to do is to run the numbers and figure out which of these is the best way to go. If your takeout orders are too unreliable, then yeah, maybe you'll want to stick with the third-party sites for now. But I'll leave you with this one last idea. Is there a way to make those orders a bit more consistent? For example, what if you ran a Sunday special uh, for the next month, right? So all of November, something that would drive traffic specifically back to you, to your app, and to your website. Could you start getting people to order directly on your site? For example, what if you did a roast chicken dinner every Sunday night made for either two people or four people? It includes all the side dishes you need and salads, Uh, and maybe even a bottle of wine, right? Price it low just to get a lot of people to jump on the ordering. You can always raise the price later, but right now, in the early days, it would be about cueing the diner's behavior. Instead of them turning to the Seamless app, you're gonna teach them to come here instead. So as you go through this, I'm going to urge you, as I always do, to come up with ideas of your own as well. But this is where you start. You run the numbers and you see what makes sense. And then you build a strategy to try to cue diners to start ordering from you directly. So again, the beauty of a ghost kitchen is that it utilizes those third-party delivery sites, right? It uses them to your benefit but they might not work for you. It might make more sense for you to do what I'm talking about, which is to bring all your ordering in-house to do first-party delivery, which means you hire delivery people, you pay them an hourly wage, they make whatever tips they make from the people uh, who are ordering food, Uh, but you gotta run the numbers and you gotta figure out what makes sense for you. Again, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to running a restaurant. So, number three, they write, I can't envision getting rid of waiters entirely, but I do agree with the point that technology should be able to help. So what are some immediate steps I can take to use technology to help lower my expenses and drive more revenue? 
Now, I love this. So it goes back to the uh, the Q&A uh, that we talked about uh, last time where we were talking about getting rid of waiters, moving to uh, to iPad ordering and all that. You're absolutely right. Um, iPad ordering, table, uh, table ordering is not going to work for every company out there. And remember, I'm not proposing getting rid of waiters entirely. I'm just saying there should be a way for you to cut your payroll. Uh, there are a couple of ways that you can get started with this right away, depending what kind of restaurant you have, uh, what kind of ordering you do. So immediately, I talked about this on the Q&A. I've talked about this in the past, but kiosks. If you run a quick service brand or a fast casual concept, uh, I would look into putting kiosks. There's no reason to pay somebody at the register to take the order, put it into the computer. The computer can do all of that. The iPad can do it. The kiosk should be able to do that. So that's an uh, that's an immediate way. Uh, if you run a QSR concept or a fast casual concept, you should be looking at putting that into practice. Uh, the other one, the next one, handheld iPads for servers to take the order. So instead of doing table ordering, right? So rather than putting an iPad on the table and inviting the guests to place their order and to send their order directly themselves, give your waiters iPads or iPhones or some device so that when they're, instead of writing the order down on a little pad of paper and then going over to the computer in the corner and putting in all the order, have somebody carry an iPad. They take the order and put it in right there. And so when they take the entire table's order, they step away and hit send. Then they save all of that time. Instead of having to go over and put the whole order into the computer, uh, they can be on the floor. They can uh, they can be pushing second beverage sales. They can be doing table maintenance. They can be greeting another table. Uh, this will help you drive more sales and or run with a smaller staff. I was at a restaurant just the other night on Sunday night, actually out here in Brooklyn uh, with a friend of mine, and they did this. Uh, they were using uh, the Toast system. Toast uh, have these devices, and it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, it was executed flawlessly. It wasn't a fancy restaurant. It was just like a seafood joint, but it was uh, it was excellent. Uh, and then the last piece, the thing that you can do right away is to uh, is to utilize uh, like like an app, like what I was saying, Craver, uh, to start driving uh, orders. Um, on your website or on your own branded app. It's gonna save you money right away. So those are three key ways to start utilizing uh, technology um, to immediately influence uh, operations right right away. Okay, so number four. My patrons seem to be really nervous about indoor dining. It's getting colder and I don't know how much longer outdoor dining will be realistic. What do I do to make people feel more comfortable? Uh, This is a great question. A couple of things right off the bat. You need to go above and beyond to show your patrons that you're taking this virus seriously and that you've taken steps to keep them safe. So do a blog post about it or a social media post or maybe a series of posts. You might even do a Facebook Live or an Instagram Live, again, where you show people exactly what you're doing. But really, I think you're looking at this question the wrong way, if I'm honest. There's an old piece of advice that Seth Godin always gives, and he says, In marketing, you never want to try to convince people of two things. You're never going to win. So he uses the example of coffee shops, right? Let's say you've got a new coffee shop you just opened in town, right? And you're trying to get people to come in and try it. And you ask somebody like, do you drink coffee? And they say, no, not really. And you say, well, you really should drink coffee in the mornings. It's a great way to start your day. And when I convince you of that, uh, let me convince you to come to my coffee shop instead of any of the competitors, right? So it's the same thing with dining inside. You don't want to have to convince people of two things. Uh, Number one, uh, that they should be comfortable dining inside. And number two, that they should do so with you. Instead, 
give people a reason to be your customer. Even if you can't convince them to dine out with you, I might suggest taking the stance of, well, we know many of you still don't feel safe dining indoors at restaurants, and we understand. So here's how you can bring us home into your own kitchen. And then you explain about your delivery uh, or your at-home meal kits or curbside service or the heat and eat dishes that you're preparing or whatever. Make sure they know that they can still be your customers even if it's engaging with you in a new way, right? So it's not just about convincing them to come dine with you. There are gonna be a chunk of people you're never gonna be able to convince. And again, that's a rule for uh, for marketing in general. Never try to convince people of more than one thing, just one thing. So again, if you've got a coffee shop, you want to talk to coffee lovers. If you've got a steakhouse, you want to talk to steak lovers. It's the same thing here. Moving on to number five. So last week uh, when you had Robert Maynard on the show, he said to wait before jumping on a space. Take the time to find the right spot. He said that now is the time to be patient and I think that's good advice. But when looking at spots, is it better to come up with a concept and then find the right space to fit it or to find the right location first and then build a concept that fits that particular space? So again, no wrong answers, but I will say this. The danger with the first is that you often miss out on some really great spaces simply because you have this vision in your head of what the restaurant should look like, right? You you, you miss out uh, some other interesting opportunities. Also, I see a lot of chefs and restaurant owners trying to squeeze their concept into a space that just doesn't want to be that. As the saying goes, a square peg does not easily fit into a round hole. So, It's okay to come up with a concept, but don't be so locked to that idea that you miss out on a really great space. A little flexibility is a good thing. In my opinion, I think it's better to have three or four different ideas sketched out, even just in the back of your head, before you even start looking at spaces. You'll then walk in somewhere and go, oh man, this space would be really great for concept A or concept B. And another space might be perfect for concept C, You're gonna do that, you're gonna look at all the spaces, look at everything, weigh your options, and then you're you're gonna make an informed decision. Finally, then number six, the last question I wanna deal with, it says, you keep talking about restaurants becoming other things, like that place in Brooklyn that turned themselves uh, from from a pizza restaurant into a specialty shop. Do you really see that trend continuing or will it evolve in some other way? Also, could that trend work in reverse? Now, I'll reiterate. Just about anything is possible, especially in a post-COVID world. People's habits are changing their work routines, workout regimens, uh, school, of course. So now is the time to think outside the box. It's something I love to do, something I'm gonna continue to urge you to do as well. So let's break this question down into the two parts, right? So restaurants turning into retail, and then retail turning into a restaurant. I'm gonna share a little bit of insight from my own experience to to help bring this to life. So. First, restaurants turning to retail will continue to happen. The little place in Brooklyn that the uh, that the uh, the person asked, it's called Leah, uh, was just doing what made sense to them at the beginning of the uh, shutdown, and for them, it worked. Whether it will be a long-term solution, I have no idea. Only time will tell. But remember, there are other ways of adapting that idea. So it's it's also possible to offer one concept during the day and a different concept at night, right? So instead of doing a, a lunch menu and a dinner menu, maybe they're two totally different concepts. 
Years ago here in New York, there was a place called Terizi Italian Specialties, and it only lasted for five years. Uh, it was the first restaurant from uh, Mario Carbone, Rich Terizi, and Jeff Zelaznik. Uh, they would, of course, go on to build an empire with their company, Major Food Group, uh, an empire that includes Carbone and The Grill and Parm and Sedels and on and on. At the moment, they've got like a dozen different concepts. But their first restaurant was called Terizi. Uh, it was in Nolita. It was a specialty sandwich shop by day and a restaurant by night. Remember, Kraft had done similar things over the years with the space next door to the restaurant. Uh, it was their uh, private dining room. It was Kraft Bar for a while. Uh, Olmsted in Brooklyn uh, has turned their private dining room into a specialty shop, much like Leah did. Uh, and on and on and on. I think for certain concepts in certain markets, yes, it makes sense. Another one that comes to mind is in Pennsylvania, not far from where I grew up. Uh, there's a place called Tallulah's Table. It's in Kennett Square, uh, and they are a specialty shop by day and fine dining restaurant by night with just one table. Reservations, as you can imagine, book out months in advance, and this was something they've been doing for years, long, long before COVID. Uh, really, it's about maximizing business during your downtime, right? So in the future, maybe it won't make sense to serve lunch anymore, at least not in the same way that you serve dinner. Labor costs are rising, and it will be harder to turn a profit with a lower check average. So maybe you'll turn your restaurant into a sort of cafeteria, right? So imagine this. You come in, you order at the counter, you go find a table. You then get a text when your food is ready. You can enjoy the space and relax while you eat, but there's no service to speak of. Keep your mind open to new ways of doing things. That's my point. Don't get so stuck in just what's being done or what someone else is doing. Think of it on your own. Now, the flip side of this, right, the second piece to the question is a bit trickier simply because most states uh, have strict SLA laws. So selling alcohol in a retail capacity and then serving it as well on premises, uh, you know, in store is tough. Now, if we were in Europe, uh, this would be different. In fact, when I was in Paris just last year, there was this little wine shop right near the, the Airbnb where we were staying, uh, and they sold wine all day. It was a wine shop. Uh, and then they had a little counter, though, in the back where it became this little wine bar, right, with, with cheeses and meats and all of that. So you could come in and buy some wine to go, or you could come in and have a seat in the back, drink a glass of wine, and enjoy a little cheese. I think that would be awesome here in the United States. I don't know how realistic it is, uh, given uh, how each state has very different and very strict uh, laws when it comes to serving and selling alcohol. Now, of course, you could always run your place as a BYOB at night to get around things, right? So you, you sell specialty products or, or, or you're a wine shop during the day, and then you turn it into a restaurant at night or, or a um, a cheese shop at night uh, and people just bring in their own booze, their own wine, right? If you have a kitchen capabilities, then yeah, I guess that's one way to go. The bottom line is creativity is the only way forward. You have to think outside the box and you have to do it over and over and over again. It is the only way out of this mess. So take this as an opportunity to reimagine the best way to make money. Remember that a business exists to make money. If a business isn't profitable, there's no reason for it to exist. Doesn't matter how much you believe in the product, you need customers to believe in the product in order to survive. It is about serving an audience. So I'll remind you to constantly go back to that same question. Who is my audience and what do they need? In any event, 
That's what I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, if you have more questions for me, please send them to me, chip at chipclose.com. Again, C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. Let me know what you're thinking about. Who knows, maybe it'll make its way onto one of these Q&A episodes, or maybe it'll become a complete episode all on its own. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, stay creative, and I will see you next time.